We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Let me put others before self. Let me put the things of the spirit before the things of the body. Let me put the attainment of noble ends above the enjoyment of present pleasures. Let me put principle above reputation. And let me put thee above all else. It's so important for us to understand the way that life works for us as Christians. Um, and just let the Lord be the Lord, man. Let God be God in our life. Uh, we're going to get a lot of temptations. You're going to want to crown yourself. That's a very common temptation. Hey, I'm king, you know, of the jungle, man. And you know, I'm in charge here. Uh, a lot of times we want to crown another guy. Oh, he's a really good guy. He's a really cool guy. You know what? This Follow this guy. And, and the Lord says, no, let me be king. Let me lead your life. And when the Lord leads our life, we're going to be in great shape. But there's always this battle that's going to be taking place. So we're going to see such a battle here in Judges chapter 9. Because look what we read first of all in verse 1. It says, Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers, so that would be his uncle, right? His uncles. And spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father. That's his grandfather, right? Saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. Here we see Abimelech, and we're in the book of Judges. It's a crazy time, you know. It's a, it's a tragic time where the children of Israel you know, are all confused. They're just confused. I think that's a really good description of what's happening. And we know the Bible says that confusion is from who? It's from the enemy. You know, when you got things figured out, you know the Lord's on the throne, He's King, life is, is so awesome. I'm not saying it's simple, but it's, it's awesome. You're just following the Lord. He gives you strength. He gives you grace. You know, He helps us to have peace that Passes understanding, joy for the journey, no matter what the circumstances are. But when confusion comes in, we, we can't see. You know, that was what was going on in this time right here in the nation of Israel. God's beautiful people were struggling in their walk with the Lord, you know, and they were going in and out and there was no consistency there. And so, you know, guys are raised up and guys are, here we see, raising themselves up. And it's an ugly thing, huh, when a man exalts himself. It really is. And that's what Abimelech is doing right here. He's exalting himself. He's pulling some strings, going to the city of Shechem, goes to his uncle's, his grandfather's house, and he asks them a question. He says, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have 70 men rule over you or one man rule over you? You know, and, and let me tell you something. When anyone comes to you with, you know, options, um, and they only give you two options, um, <laughs> you know, you can probably say, hey, you can raise your hand. I know we're afraid to do that sometimes. And then you just say, are there any other options? I mean, would you rather have 70 rule over you or one rule over you? And I would say neither. I don't want those 70 and I don't want you. 
I want the Lord to be the ruler of my life. See, that's what they should have said, but they kind of were, you know, tricked into this whole thing of thinking there's only two options when there, when there really wasn't. You know, what we read right here is Abimelech was exalting himself. And he says, would you rather have 70 or one? And by the way, he says, the one is me, and I'm one of you. And so it works out really cool. You know, if you look back at chapter 8, look real quick at chapter 8, verse 30. It said that Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. Think about that, 70 sons. Crazy, huh? (laughs) 70 sons, man. And his concubine, it says in verse 31, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And so you kind of get a little bit of background there. Seventy sons born to his wives, but one son born over here in Shechem to one of his concubines. And so he kind of was different. He stood out from the rest. Uh, we're going to see probably that he was looked down upon. But what we see is that Abimelech goes and uh, he asks these guys to go to Shechem and to pull some strings for him in order that he might be exalted as king. You know, now real quick, you guys, we're going to see the wickedness and the pain that this guy Abimelech causes. But before we get there, I can't help but wonder if it wasn't tied to the pain uh, that Abimelech had growing up, more than likely without a dad. You know, more than likely Gideon, also known as Jerubbaal, was not there for his son. More than likely. He had his sons, and they were his sons, and, you know, wives, and, and even that, I'm sure, was probably, you know, tough. Seventy sons. But this one over there, ah, uh, you know what? And, and you know, before we go on and, and talk about how bad this guy Abimelech is, I got to stop and think about, when, what type of dad was, was Gideon? You know, and it really makes me check my heart, you know, because we know Gideon was used by the Lord in a great way and maybe involved in, you know, the ministry. But we've seen in the Bible that even some really good guys, in, in one sense, turned out to be some pretty terrible dads, huh? Terrible dads. David wasn't a very good father. Right? We know that. He wasn't a very good disciplinarian. Another guy was the high priest of Israel. His name was Eli. And they had two sons that were wicked, and he never disciplined them. He never disciplined them. And and they ended up dying, and he ended up dying. And all I'm saying real quick, right off the bat, is that, you know, for us, I think this is a quick side note. As we look at this guy, Abimelech, keep in mind that this type of thing so easily happens to those boys whose father has abandoned them. You know, if you're here and you're a dad and you still got your children, man, be a good dad to them. One day, maybe some of you are going to grow up and you're going to be a dad. You know, be there for them. It's important. They need you. Maybe you're here and you know some of these kids right here and they don't really have a dad. Maybe you can be a father figure to them. All I'm saying is that when we look at the life of Abimelech, and he was an awful individual, I can't help but think and just really wonder if it wasn't because of the fact that his dad was not a dad. 
And so for us, it's really important, man. In the Proverbs 29.15, you guys know it, right? The rod and rebuke get wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now we know that hurt people do what? They have a tendency to hurt people. And so this guy right here, Abimelech, he ends up exalting himself. It's not about the kingdom of Israel. It becomes about the kingdom of Abimelech, right? And so he says, hey, can you guys pull some strings for me? And so in verse 3, it says in his mother's brothers, they spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And so they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. And then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubiel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubiel, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Abimelech goes and he talks to the guys, you know, his uncles. Can you talk to the guys in Shechem? And you can, can you tell them to make me king? I'm one of you. It'll be good for me and it'll be good for you. And so what he does, he goes, the uncles relayed the words, they asked the men of the city, what do you think? Abimelech wants to be king. Keep in mind, he's one of us. Don't you think it will work out to our advantage? And so we read in verse 3. Notice again, look at verse 3, you guys. And all the men of Shechem, it says right there, and his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. Their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. Not a good thing to do, huh? When you just want to. Have you guys ever heard someone say that? Follow your heart? Follow your heart, man. Follow your heart. You know what? That's not good advice. <laughs> Jeremiah 17.9. I know you guys know the scripture. The heart is deceitful. It's deceitful above all things. desperately wicked. We can't follow our heart. We can't go and do the things that we just kind of like feel like doing. We cannot follow our heart. I like what they say in that, that one movie. What is it? Um, uh, I forgot. Fireproof. Yeah, he says, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Lead your heart. Who are we supposed to follow? We follow the Lord, right? But right here it says that when they heard these things, they, oh man, it sounds good. And they were then inclined, their heart was inclined in a certain direction, and they ended up following their heart. They ended up giving Abimelech a lot of money from the temple of their God, and then they hired wicked mercenaries who went up to Ophrah and they killed, think about this, 69 of his 70 brothers. And I don't really know, I didn't have a chance to look up, maybe some of you guys can look this up for me, man. You know, But I did read a few commentaries, they didn't say anything about it. But you kill 69 brothers on one stone. On one stone. You kill them all. Boom. He's dead. Give me the next one. Boom. You kill him there. He's dead. And I don't know if they were sacrificing him to their gods. I don't know what was going on. But I know this is what's called fratricide. It was just, man, killing his brothers. And that's where they were at. 
What do they do? One got away, but then they gathered together at Beth Milo, and there beside the oak tree they make Abimelech king. You know, I just want to encourage you guys, and for all of us here, you know, how we need to beware of selfishness. How we need to beware of selfish ambitions. There's something we see not only in the heart of Abimelech, hey, I want to be king, but also in the hearts of the guys of Shechem. Hey, I want, I want to know the king, you know, I want to be there and kind of get that type of power. You know, Abimelech wanted to be king. These men wanted to get the hookup from the king. And the bottom line is they were all in it for themselves. They were all in it for themselves. You know, and that's one of the primary differences between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men, between fine leaders and false leaders. It's essentially the difference between heaven and hell. One takes authority to serve self, And the other receives authority to serve others. You guys know, huh? The selfish ambition led to the very first fall of all. That was Lucifer, right? Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel 28. He said, I will ascend above the stars of heaven. Ascend above. I will be like the most high God, right? And what did it do? You know, we read in Daniel chapter 4, it turned a king into an animal. We read in Isaiah chapter 14, it turned a beautiful angel into the ugliest devil there could be. That's what happens when you're in it for yourself. And that's the antithesis to Jesus. Jesus was not in it for himself. God was not in it for himself. God was in it for us. God was in it for others. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us not to be selfish But selfless, Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Jeremiah 45, 5, I like that. It says, And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. That's what Jeremiah told Baruch. You know, and, and, and I pray that we would understand what the Bible teaches. These guys are, are bad examples. You know what? God, God will do great things through your life. Let Him raise you up. Let Him do the work. You just follow and be faithful. Watch what God does. Don't be like these guys right here. You know, there they are and they're all celebrating, right? But it's cool what ends up happening. Jotham, the only other surviving son of Gideon, He then stands up on Mount Gerizim with a message from the Lord. Look what it says to you guys in verse 7. It says, Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness, my good fruit, and go to sway over trees? And then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine which cheers both God and men? And go to sway over trees. 
And then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. You guys understand that, right? <laughs> you know, you read it a few times, it's kind of cool. I bet you there's a few things you'll notice, right? Did you notice how the, the think about this, the olive tree, think about this, the fig tree and the vine? You guys know, what what does that represent in the Bible? Israel, huh? It's Israel. They're figurative. They're symbolic of, of Israel. From what I understand, this is the first parable in the Bible. Um, that's what Warren Wiersbe said. And what Jotham does here is he speaks uh, figuratively, symbolically, and he also speaks prophetically. You know, we see right here that these are representatives of Israel. And what we see is that all of them say no. The olive tree says no. The fig tree says no. The vine says no. Because really, Israel was not to rule over Israel. Who was supposed to rule over Israel? God was, huh? And, you know, even for us, you know, we can say no. We can say no. I won't rule over myself. Why? Because God is supposed to be the one ruling over us, right? You see, what we see right here is that if Israel was to rule over herself, she would lose her anointing. That's what the olive oil speaks about, the anointing of God. If you rule over your own life, you will lose the anointing of God. And, 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 the, and the fig tree, if you rule over yourself, you will lose the fruit that comes from God, that fruit of the Spirit uh, the one who rules over themselves, there's no fruit of the Spirit of God. There's no anointing from God. And, and when you rule over yourself, there's no, you know, vine, there's no wine, there's no joy of God. And that's what happens to all the people who fall into that trap of wanting to serve themselves and wanting to rule over their own life. You know, it's also symbolic of the fact that when the people went to Gideon, they said to Gideon, you rule over us. You guys remember what Gideon said? He said, no. Let the Lord rule over you. And that's what we need to see. That's what we need to be. You know, I want to encourage you guys, man. Do not rule over yourself, man. Uh, we know how persistent we can be, how insistent we can be. And so what ends up happening, though, is eventually these guys, these uh, trees, they go to the bramble. They're in verse 14. Now, the bramble is a thorn bush. And the, the bramble right here, it, it, he says, basically, listen, if you really mean it, then come take shelter in my shade. As a matter of fact, he then moves real quickly. He says, you better do it or I'll burn you. Now imagine that, you guys, a thorn bush ruling over you. Think about this for a second. Is there any shade from a thorn bush? There's no shade there, right? It's a false promise. But once you make that covenant, once you make that hookup, once you begin to live that life, then you and I will be destroyed. You know, when you think about it, a thorn bush has no shade to offer. I pray that we would see what God is trying to say to us 
As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Jonathan goes on to explain in verse 16. Notice what he says. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, delivered you out of the hand of Midian, you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer, which means, well, don't think anything weird there, okay? <laughs> and he just dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. This guy Jotham, he goes up, and, and it's interesting, and there's so much here, you guys, Mount Gerizim, that was supposed to be the, the mountain of blessing. Remember Moses said, you speak from Mount you know, Ebal, and you speak from Mount Gerizim, blessings, and now there's a curse. There at this terebinth tree, this is where you know Abraham made a covenant with God, this is where Jacob buried his idols, this is where Joshua addressed the people. Now it turns into a place in which they're crowning this terrible man to be the king of Israel. There's a lot here. But Jotham, as he's speaking to the people, he just says, man, you know, you guys have forgotten what my father Gideon did, how he saved you, how you know the Lord used him in such a mighty way. He says, listen, if all this is done with sincerity, then cool, it's time for celebration. But you guys know, we all know, things were not done right. My father fought for you bravely for this country, and how do you honor him? You go and you slaughter 69 of his sons. And so, do people get away with that? Do people get away with such atrocities? No way. Jotham speaks prophetically in verse 20. He says, fire is going to come from Abimelech and devour the men, and fire will come from these men and devour Abimelech. What we're going to see as we go through our story today that the turn of events, the future judgment, was so kind of strange that you knew it was the Lord. Because here they are, think about it right here, in unison, in celebration. But one day, the day would come, when not only would they turn on each other, but they would devour each other. And we learn in our study today, number one, that we need to beware of the selfishness of man, selfish ambition. And then number two, we need to be aware of the justice of God. You know, all these guys are probably tough guys. Uh, they probably, you know, um, think they're, 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 they're just, no one's going to get them. No one will ever bring them to justice. They're going to get away with all the things that they're doing. And you know, if it wasn't for God, maybe they would. But see, God is a holy God. God is a just God. And we need to fear Him. God is good and God is gracious. And if you're in Christ, you know, thank God that we're not going to go to hell, man. 
But the Bible does say that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that's why there needs to be that healthy fear of God. See, they thought they could get away with it, and yet no one ever does. And so the first thing we see here is this guy Abimelech seizing the kingdom. He sees the kingdom, seizes it. Number two, we see him now defending the kingdom. Because look what we read in verse 22. It says, After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God, this is interesting, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the crime, here's the reason, that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubael might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech and their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. Everything's cool. You know, they did their sin. A week goes by, a month goes by. They're probably, you know, just having fun, grubbing, women. I mean, you name it, man. Music, partying. You know, uh, a month goes by, a year goes by, and they're having fun. And, and then another year goes by. And then, you know, all that time, who knows, maybe God's speaking to them. Get right. But then another year goes by. Three years go by. And then what ends up happening? Somewhere in the heavenly realm, uh, I don't know how it works, but, you know, perhaps it was kind of like what we read with Job or, or we read with Saul, that a demon is actually, you know, commissioned or allowed to go down and just to tear it up. Because God sent, it says right there, a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men. What for? So that they can get in an argument and say, oh, you're bad, you're bad? Is that what was going to happen? No, because they would be killed. They would die. It was God. It's a trip when you read that right there. Now remember, God is here on the throne, and he doesn't necessarily author the evil, but he allows the evil. You know, And what he does is he sends a spirit of ill will. He simply, in his sovereignty, allowed the demon to do his thing, in this case, the division and future death was on its way. And what was happening here? It says they were getting what they deserved. We read something similar in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, where the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, it says, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. With that division, we read next in verse 25, And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him, on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way. And it was told Abimelech. Now, Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers, went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So I don't know if you can follow the story. I've read it like, you know, a hundred times. And so I, I know the story, and I don't know if you guys are following along here, but you know, um, things aren't going well now between Shechem and Abimelech. God sends an Ill, you know, ill will between them. And so now they're like, okay, and, and you know how it is. You guys have probably seen the movies where they, you know, the traitors are coming up, the guys, and then they, and they rob them. And so things are not going cool. And so there they are in Shechem. And what ends up happening is as these things are happening, 
this guy named Gael, kind of interesting, a guy named Gael. Anyways, um, he's there. And, uh, and what ends up happening is the men of Shechem, they put their confidence in him. You know, and to me, it's like, dudes, when are you going to get it? You know, you put your confidence in the Bimelech. Did that turn out well? No. Now you want to put your confidence in another guy? Do you think this guy is going gonna, is gonna to figure it out for you? No. We must follow the Lord. Every single person here, every single one of us, we must have a personal relationship with God. It's so important that we have that. That we don't put our confidence, it says right here, in, in Him, in, in others, man. The Hebrew word, it means that they put so much confidence in Him that they felt safe with Him and were therefore careless in their conduct. And I just want to encourage you guys, you know, God is good. God loves you. God died for us so that we can have a personal relationship with Him. God died for us and His Son, Jesus, was nailed to the cross for all our sins to wash them all away. And even though we don't feel worthy and none of us are, and even though we still blow it and we stumble in life, you are still God's Son and you are still God's daughter. And let me tell you something. He loves you and He wants to have a personal relationship with you. It's so cool. You know, I don't know if this applies, but I'll tell you guys, I got some new shoes. I don't know if anybody noticed. I got some new vans. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you this, and I'm just going to kind of let it all out tonight, man. So forgive me. I know this is dorky, man. But I remember one person, he said, you know, um, when people look at you, the first thing they look at is your shoes. I don't know if that's true or not, you know. But anyways, um, so ever since I heard that, I thought, you know what, I should probably start cleaning my shoes, you know, more, you know. And so I got my new vans. I'm like, okay, Lord, fresh start, you know, we're going to start all over again. And so what I've been doing, forgive me for telling you this, you know, but, you know, I, I, I wake up in the morning, I, I try to wake up a few minutes earlier, and then I clean my shoes before I go out the door, you know, every day. Because this is what I've noticed, that every day they get dirty, <laughs> right? They just get a little dirty. And, and I can clean them every day before I go out the door. And, um, and, and then the Lord reminded me, Manny, that's what I do with you. John chapter 13, he said, when your feet get dirty, I'm willing to wash them. I'm willing to wash them every day so that we can stay in fellowship with each other. You see, because when we don't maintain that relationship, that personal relationship, then you know what? We begin to distance ourselves from God. And before you know it, man, you know, there's stains there that are really creating, you know, rifts between us and God. All I'm saying is this, you guys. Don't put your confidence in men. I, I know we've got some good men. And who knows, Gael, you know, he's probably a pretty buff dude, man. Strong and, you know, he's talking. And, you know, Abimelech, you know, I mean, you know, great guys. And yes, there are great guys. I'm not one of them. But there are great guys out there. But don't put your confidence in them. Put your confidence in Jesus Christ. He will never fail you. And see, He's, you know, gonna lead us 
in that relationship. I've noticed this in life. You know, I've got my pastor, my pastor Raw. I love him. You know, and, and if he tells me to do things in ministry, you know, I will do them. Why? Because he's my pastor. But, you know, nine times out of ten, he doesn't. Nine times out of ten, he says, Manny, you follow the Lord. Right? And there are things that he does that maybe I might do a little different. Because I have to follow Jesus. And so do you. Not men. It's important for us. Because if not, we're going to be in big trouble. Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9, it says, It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Proverbs 3.26, it says, The Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. See, I can't keep your foot from being caught. And your best friend can't keep your foot from being caught. And your pastor can't keep your foot from being caught. Only Jesus can keep your foot from being caught. Put your confidence in Him. Follow Him. He'll never let you down. You know, because they put their confidence in this guy, Gael, and look what ends up happening. In verse 27, so what they do? They went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their gods and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. And then Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal, and is he not Zebul, his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? They followed Gael. What did Jesus say about blind men leading blind men? Does anybody know? They're going to fall into a ditch, huh? And both of them were blind, right? That's what ended up happening. They made merry, the party, the idolatry, the gluttony, the profanity, unwise words and spoken, which inevitably led to unwise wars. Right there in verse 28, he says, you know what, here's the logic, you guys. Why are you going to file Abimelech? Yeah, his mom was a Shechemite, but his dad wasn't. I'm a pure Shechemite. Follow me, you know, the sons of Hamor. Let's go back to where it all started. And he's just what? He's just saying, follow me. And we go back to what we're trying to learn. God, I want to follow you. And that's where we need to be. And so what ends up happening, we see selfish ambition, exhibition, number two, in verse 29, if only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. And so he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So he's, he's just talking trash, right? He's talking trash. But he's saying, only, if only I could, you know, rule. You know, and when I read this right here, you guys, I, I, don't, I don't know about you. Have you guys seen that trilogy, The Lord of the Rings? Have you guys seen that trilogy? Some of you have. It's a series of movies showing the quest of the creatures of God for power. Right? And the movie sends a message that essentially says the only one able to handle that power is the one who's called to carry the burden. And in this case, it happens to be a hobbit, right? The lowest of all creatures who actually is serving them by eventually destroying the ring of power. 
lest it fall into the wrong hands or, you know, onto the wrong finger. See, the power does not belong in the creatures of God. The power must remain in the one who alone can rule with that power. And all these guys, Abimelech, and, you know, we see here Gael, and, you know, later on we're going to see, you know, Absalom, you know, wanting that power. And it's an ugly, and it's an ugly, ugly thing. You know, I think of uh, Absalom in 2 Samuel 15, 1-6. He basically did the same thing. He did. You know, I don't know if you guys know the story of Absalom. He killed his brother as well. He went away, and, you know, he was gone for a couple of years. And then, you know, he says, hey, Dad, can I come back home? David didn't require repentance. He said, okay, you can come home. But at the same time, David didn't minister to him. So what ends up happening is Absalom is out there in the front of the city gates, and he tells the people, you know, if I were king, you know, I I, I would, you know, I'd, tell, I'd spend more time with you. I, I'd get more personal with you. I know my dad, David, he's up there on the throne. He doesn't have time for you. If I was king, man, I would take care of your problem right here, right now. You'd be good. And Absalom was really good looking. They even said the weight of his hair was was heavy. Heavy. I mean, they imagine that. And and what ends up happening? He stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Right? It's another man who just wanted the power. We need to beware of selfish ambition. Here we see this guy, Gail. He wants the power. Talking trash. In verse 30, it says, When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are fortifying the city against you. Now therefore, go up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be, as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as you find opportunity. Zebul, this guy, was the ruler of the city. Uh, I guess he was okay with Abimelech to a certain extent. And so he hears the words of rebellion and mutiny from Gael and the guys. What does he do? He calls them up on the phone and he warns them, right? Hey, Abimelech, the guys are, you know... Starting this mutiny. He tells them, he informs them, and not only that, he gives them a strategy for success. He says, bring the soldiers, hide out in the fields by night, and in the morning, come and get them. And so we read in verse 34, So Abimelech and all the people who were with him, they rose by night, lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. And when Gael the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains, as if they were men. So Gael spoke again and said, No, see, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming down from the diviner's terebinth tree. And then Zebul said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now? 
with which you said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. And so Gael went out, leading the men of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech, and Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. And then Abimelech dwelt at Aruma, and Zebul drove out Gael and his brothers, so that they would not dwell in Shechem. You know, it's all part of God's plan, but it's interesting how you see the way these guys, you know, they, they strategize. You know, Zebul apparently was on Abimelech's side, and he kind of leads him into this slaughter. He leads him into it. Abimelech and his men then defeat Gael and his guys. And not only does Abimelech win on the outside of the city, but Zebul drives out the men. We read right there in verse 41. Notice he drove out Gael and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And so they're defeated on the outside. They're driven out from the inside of the city so that these particular men, at least the men that were involved with the mutiny, would not dwell in Shechem. But Abimelech's not done. We read next in verse 42. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. And so he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city. And he arose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So, notice what it says in verse 45. Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it. And he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. I don't know if you can catch everything that's going on here, but there is a lot of people dying. There's a lot of people dying here. You know, and we don't, we don't, we don't see it. We don't see the, the kids, the women, the children, the blood, the pain, the, the, all that. We don't see it. But see, this is what happens when we don't do things God's way. This is what happens when dads aren't dads. Abimelech was, was crazy. He was crazy. Because think about this. I don't know if you followed the story or not. Okay, not only does he, you know, squash the rebellion of Gael, but remember we read earlier, Zebul had some men to drive out the, you know, the guys that were rebelling against Abimelech. And so you would think that Abimelech would be cool with, you know, Zebul and the men that drove these other men out of the city, but he's not. Abimelech was crazy. He went in and he killed not only the followers of Gael, but he went into the city and he destroyed. It says he demolished the city and then he covered it with salt. What does that mean? That means that nothing's going to grow here again. This, that, what that meant from a biblical perspective is that this was totally wiped out and it's going to stay wiped out. And, and you look at that and you're like, wow, Lord, this is crazy. But... They're still not done. In verse 46, Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, 
they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god of Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bough from the trees, took it, laid it on his shoulder, and then he said to the people who were with him, Would you have seen me do? Make haste and do as I have done. And so each of the people likewise cut down his own bow, followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them, so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Now apparently this is where the, what's that word, aristocracy? How do you say that, aristocracy? I know the movie. The cartoon, Aristocats. <laughs> Aristocracy, okay, whatever. Anyways, this is where all those rich people live, man. <laughs> and Abimelech says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tear them up too, man. You know, something that's interesting, and, and I don't know if you guys, I don't know for sure, but some of the teachers will tell you that this guy Abimelech, he did some things that his, his father did. Gideon. When Gideon was in war, how many companies did he divide up into? Three. That's what he does. And Gideon, when he defeats the Midianites, what does he say? Do as I do. Follow me. Do, do what I do. You know, and it makes you wonder, did, was he, was he maybe studying the life of his dad? He went down in history, his dad. He was a great warrior. But see, without the love of his dad, without the love of his dad, it was misdirected. Right? And rather than using it for, for good and for the kingdom of God, he ended up using it for bad. And they, they go and they take these, you know, axe and they, you know, get some, you know, some timber, some kindler wood and they go and they burn all these people. What for? What for? And, you know, and the things that we do, and I, and I'm guilty of it, the things that I do when I'm not walking in the spirit, what for? Why, why, is that necessary? But that, we're all, we're all susceptible to that, you guys. You know, we just can't rule over ourselves. And we can't let, you know, this man or that philosophy of man rule over us. It's gotta be the Lord. And you know, the cool thing is that it can be. It really can. The Lord is willing to rule over our life. You know, when I wake up in the morning and, and, you know, part of me wants to stay in bed, but the Lord says, no, let me rule over your life. And so I get up and I make a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> and then what I do is I get on my knees and I pray and I go and I read my Bible. And then, you know, I, I want to go and, and whatever, you know, whatever the day is, I've got a million things to do outside you know, and then the Lord says, no, don't go outside. Read with your kids. And every morning we have our devotions together. We read, I read with my children. And then the Lord says, and this is what I want you to do next. I want you to go for a walk with your wife. You know, and, and so it's so cool, man. I go for a walk with my wife and I love it. I love it. I love just talking with her while we're walking. 
And, and the Lord is the one that, that, that leads our life. Not us. It's so cool, you guys. You know, the Lord is just sharing with us, hey, you know, um, there's a king. And, and, and this guy Abimelech, first he seizes the kingdom, then he defends the kingdom, but then he loses the kingdom. Because look what we read next in verse 50. And then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women and all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. And then they went up to the top of the tower. Now, this is really, you know, high. This is sky high, right? And so Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He's going to do the same thing he did last time, but notice what happens. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me a woman killed him. (laughs) And so his young man thrust him through and he died. You know what's so funny is later on when David talks about this, you know who he says who killed him? A woman. (laughs) It didn't work, man. In verse 55, And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they deserted, departed every man to his place. Notice here it is again. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his seventy brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. Here we see what ends up happening. You know, and I don't know how old Abimelech was. Maybe he was an older guy. You know, and we think we're we're going to get away with it, but but we're not. You know, one day God will settle all those accounts. Warren Wiersbe said this: If it's God's wind that lifts you, and you're soaring on wings that He has given you then fly as high as he takes you. But if you manufacture both the wind and the wings, then you're heading for a terrible fall. You know, the cool thing that we see in our life, you guys, is that God is an awesome God. He's a gracious God. You know, we're his children, and he's our father. We're his sheep, and he's our shepherd. You know, I, I, I find myself now in my relationship with God just so blessed because of His grace that He's given to my life. You know, and, and my prayer is a simple prayer. Lord, You rule over me. Lord, You be my King. Alan Redpath, you know what he used to pray? He used to pray, Thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. God wants to do great things with your life and He will give you wind and He will give you wings and He will lift you up and He will use you for His glory. But let God do it. Let God do it. You know, I was reading today this book I'm reading. It's a great book. I was talking about the people there on the 131st floor, 9-11. You know, when that, you know, plane crashed into the 101st floor, 
And they knew that there was no way out. No way out. They knew they had ten minutes to live. What do you do? What do you think of at that time? Do you think of, you know, all your, you know, ambitions at work? Are you worried now about, you know, your doctor appointment? You know, what are you going to be thinking about? Your family. Your family. Right? That's who you call. And when you see this story right here, and you realize that, you know, maybe if this dad would have been a dad, maybe everything would have been different. You realize what an impact that we can make. You know, for all of us here, moms and dads and and brothers and sisters, just be who you are. Be what God's called you to be. It's very simple, man. Let the Lord be the king of your life. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there was a time in the in the history of our, our country right here when we first started off that things became so bad economically that one of George Washington's colonels, uh, he wrote him a letter. They, it was a secret letter. And it was urging him to use his army to make himself the king. It's interesting. The colonel said right here that the only way to get the affairs of the young nation under control was for Washington to become king. I know that's how we feel sometimes. We feel like, you know what, the only way this is really going to happen, i got to take the bull by the horns, man. I gotta, you know, start calling the shots. You know, and I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And, and, and Washington was in that place, he had that temptation. But what ended up happening was Washington rejected the plan for absolute power. He said, no, it's not to be a monarchy. This is to be a republic, a democracy. It is not to be a nation under George. It's to be a nation under God. And that's the way it's got to be for my life. Lord, I can't be a, a, a man, a life, a person under, under me. Lord, I want to be, I really, really want to be under you. Lead my life, Lord. I, I surrender my life to you. And I know you've already done it in the past when you got saved and, and maybe you've done it other times along the way. But maybe tonight that needs to be done again. Total surrender. The roles and responsibilities that I have, I want to do them, Lord. With your help and your grace in my life. And Father, we thank you so much. Lord, that you... Uh, Ah, even in a tough chapter like this, they say it's the longest chapter in Judges. It's probably the saddest chapter in Judges. So much death, so much pain. And you look underneath it and you see why. Simple things like maybe a dad not being a dad or, or maybe these guys wanting to follow a man or wanting to lead their own lives, Lord. Things that your word forbids. Things that your word instructs us in, Lord. 
And so my prayer tonight for my brothers and my sisters is that by your spirit, Lord, you would encourage them. Lord, I pray to take this, even this chapter and somehow unscramble it, Lord. Somehow, Lord God, let it be used to bless them and strengthen their life. I love you, Lord, and I thank you, Lord. And just in case, Lord, there's anyone here tonight, maybe they've drifted away or maybe they don't know you, Lord, let tonight be the day. Let tonight be the night, Lord, that they would give their life to Jesus. Because you're the one, Jesus, who died for us on that cross. We thank you for it. We love you. We need you. We pray, Lord, you do a great work in us and through our lives. And we ask all these things. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.